What's up, everyone? This is another episode of the Rehumanizing Project from Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. Today's conversation was with Alex Abernathy. Really, really good conversation. This one happened, you know, a couple months ago, so we might have some references to the election and to the debates and things like that. Alex is actually a news anchor on the radio in Knoxville, Tennessee. He's also got a podcast called Combating the Madness. Check them out. Go follow them on go follow them on Twitter. Find them at, at Combat the Mad. You know, sometimes you gotta shorten your Twitter handles just like us. Our Twitter handle is Good AM Liberty. And check out the podcast, Combating the Madness. I'm going to put the link to it in the show notes. So go check it out. All right, guys, here we go. My name's Alex Abernathy. I'm 23. I live in Knoxville, Tennessee. So, you know, just a few hours from you guys. I am from the Nashville area. I'm from Murfreesboro. Okay. Uh, my job right now is it's actually twofold. So first off, I'm a small business owner. I own a promotions company that does like bar trivia, Singo, stuff like that. I do tailgates and whatnot for different bars around Knoxville. Also, and this will more align with what we're doing here, is I'm a political news anchor on News Talk 98.7. It is the, it's an FM station here in Knoxville. So my job there, what that actually means is I'm the guy in the afternoons that comes on at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and 6 o'clock and says, I'm Alex Abernathy. It's 70 degrees in Knoxville. And then I talk the news for the next five or six minutes. Yeah. And then for the first half of that shift, we're in the Rush Limbaugh show. So uh, that tells you how the station aligns politically. Yeah, it sounds like a 99.7 here in Nashville. Um, w, WTN, I think, is is what it is. But it's got yeah. all the your Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh and all that stuff on it. Y'all, let me jump in here real quick and tell you about the Liberty Trading Academy. That's at mastermytrades.com. We got a really cool, really cool special going on right now, something we just started this week. You can go to the website, mastermytrades.com. And yeah, there's a, there's a monthly subscription, right? Because there's a ton of education on there. Over 250 videos. We go live in the morning, every single morning. We discuss what we're going to be trading. And then we keep it live while I'm trading in the morning. Okay, so you can go to mastermytrades.com if you're interested. And the really, really cool thing going on right now is you can get a preview of the website and the content. Full preview for Two days, I know that that's not forever, but a lot of times, you know, everyone does the seven-day free trial, 30-day free trial. When you do that, you got to put in your credit card information, you got to do all this, and then you forget about it, and then it it charges you money or something like that. And of course, that's part of the plan, you know, is is to go ahead and get that first month from everyone. Just saying, that's why people do that most of the time. And it's to help people try out the website. Well, I want you guys to be able to try out the website without even having to put in any credit card information whatsoever. All you got to do is go in there and sign up, make an account, and you'll be able to use it for two days. You're going to see all 250 videos that are on the website. There's so much education on this website, and it's focused at the beginning for people who have never even looked into the stock market whatsoever. So if you think you might be interested you can go on there. There's no reason not to. You don't got to get your, you don't worry about where your wallet is. I know you're at home. You don't remember where you left your wallet. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about that. You just go on there, put in your email address, sign, sign up, make an account, and you're going to have access to the entire class for two full days. And then that's it. It doesn't start charging you immediately afterwards, anything like that. And then guess what? When you finish at the end of that, it's going to send you a coupon for 20% off for two months if you do decide you want to use the class. So anyway, that is mastermytrades.com. Yeah, how did you get yeah. to do that at, at 23? You're already on a on a radio station several times a day. How did that happen? <laughs> I mean, basically, I worked at the college radio station here at the University of Tennessee. That's where I went to school. And one day, the station manager plugged in the Facebook group and said, hey, I heard that News Talk is looking for a somebody to come and do some work for them. And everybody that I knew at that station, all they wanted to do was music or sports. There was one girl there that was interested in news. And I talked to her about it and she goes, yeah, I'm just way too liberal for that station. I wouldn't fit in there. (laughs) And as soon as she said that, I said, well, hell, 
I'll send him an email. <laughs> so I shot him an email. The manager got back to me. I came in. I recorded some just fake. Okay. I don't want to say Uh-oh, fake. Oh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I recorded some, some newscasts that would never air. Yeah. And then a week later, he got back to me and said, come on in. Start working. And so I've been there ever since. Nice. Uh, the first half of my shift, like I said, is during the Rush Limbaugh show. So I just come on, do the news. It's strictly four minutes long. And then boom, we're back to Rush Limbaugh. The second half of my shift is a local show. It's the Halloran Hilton Hill show. And it's myself as a 23-year-old white guy and two middle-aged black guys are the host and the producer of the show. And they both... I don't want to put them in a box, but they both definitely have libertarian basises Mm -hmm. of their opinions. And so it's interesting getting the rush crowd coming into that show. And then after his show is Sean Hannity, but (laughs) it's a, it's a good breakup. And because that's a local show, I'm able to be more involved in that one. And I'm actually bantering back and forth with the host and the producer. And it's, it's a good time. It's a fun show. Yeah. So uh, that's pretty cool that a station would have Limbaugh and then a more libertarian leaning show. And then Sean Hannity. I mean, you don't get, you don't get a lot of stations that would actually mix that up like that. You know, that we don't, we definitely, don't have that here at all Uh, for sure so that i mean it's nice that people are actually being exposed to to that message a little bit and our show is definitely predicated towards the more callers the better i mean halloran the host he's very good at riding the fence (laughs) uh and he basically the the gist of the show is he will propose a topic he will ride the fence on that topic and then because he rides the fence it does bring in callers on both sides of the aisle and uh it leads to some very very spirited conversations do you guys get a lot of like angry liberals calling into the show about uh, about everything going on right now or stuff that they say i guess we do. We do. And a, a lot of the callers that call into this show is a reason I wanted to do this interview with you guys is because we had a caller on Monday call in and say that he loves being able to call into the show and just prove all those dirty conservatives wrong. And then he just starts talking and talking and talking. And then you'll get another caller two minutes later that, oh, I just can't wait to come in and dunk on these liberals. And it is kind of what you guys are getting at in this podcast series. It's very dehumanizing. You look at people solely for the policy and the politicians they support rather than as being humans. And we did have a really human moment on the show that was terribly sad about a month and a half ago. We have one caller who calls in. He goes by the alias of Tennessee when he calls in. And he is very left-leaning. He has very much been on the side of lockdowns, mask mandates, everything throughout covid And he called in one day to let everyone know that his son, who was 37, died of COVID. Mm. And this came after, I mean, people on the other side will call in and just rail this guy. They they genuinely do not like him. Uh, And he genuinely doesn't like them. And then he calls in. He breaks that news. I think our host handled it very well. He, uh, He asked him if he was religious at all. Tennessee said yes. So they prayed together on the show. And then we went to break. And then for the next week, week and a half, every caller that called in, would call and start their call by saying, look, I know I've railed against Tennessee a lot before. We've never agreed before. But Tennessee, if you're listening, I want you to know that your family, your son, and you are in my prayers. And I thought that, even though a terrible situation, was was very humanizing and brought a lot of people together. Yeah, that's really good to hear people that even though we we disagree on all kinds of things. It kind of goes back to the idea of like none of, we shouldn't really, really want pain and suffering to come to other people or in, or death or death even to other people. Um, it's good to hear that people, even though they all disagree, would would come together and and pray for the guy and and it sounds like you guys handled it really well. And do you think that that uh, do you think it changed? his opinions on you guys or about anyone listening to the show at all? Do you think it, it might have, or have, has he called back in since? He, he still calls in uh, because I genuinely think he, he likes calling into the show. It is, it has become part of his day. He calls every single day. And I, you know, I don't know if it's changed the way that he views other listeners. I, I wish I did, but I really don't have an answer for you. Yeah. It it would be interesting. It'd be interesting to know if it did at all. That's that's really what we're 
all what we're trying to do right now on this series. So speaking of, I want to get a little bit of backstory on you. You told me like who you are, what you're doing right now. Tell me just a little bit about uh, how you grew up and decided to go to Tennessee and getting into all that. Like anything important from those from those years that led to you being the person that you are right now that you can think of? So growing up definitely led to me, and I've told you this before, that I that I tend to agree with you and Charles a lot uh, politically, and that is because I grew up in a split household. And I'm not talking like a Tennessee-Alabama household. <laughs> politically, it was a split household. And more so than just my mom was a Democrat and my dad was a Republican, my mom is, was and is very left-leaning. She was the communications director for the campaign for John Hood. I don't know if that name rings a bell to you. He was a state rep. A, uh, he was a very high-profile Democrat state representative for uh, 12 years from 96 to 2008 in Tennessee. So she was very heavily involved in his campaign, involved in the left side politically. My dad, on the other hand, was, uh, I don't think he ever held a position, but very involved going to fundraisers, going to events for the Rutherford County Republican Party. So I was constantly exposed to both ends of the political spectrum, whether that be at the dinner table or driving in the car um, all the time. So listening to both ends, I kind of got the best and worst of both worlds. And that has led me to more where I stand. Personal question that were they able to stay together through that? Because it's gotten way worse since then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, personal question, personal answer. They just split up within the last few months, actually. Getting too close to the election. Yeah. Getting too close to the election. I think (laughs) being trapped in the house together for a long time kind of... uh, Gave a glimpse into old age. Yeah. Um, did they have a lot of issues going back and forth when you were younger about the Did they kind of keep to themselves and it was okay that they felt differently about those things? Or were were there just some some blow-ups about it and it caused like a huge riff in the relationship, you think? They're a mixture of both. There would yeah. be a lot of days where we'd be sitting down and eating dinner, something political would come up and they would very quickly be like, all right, we're just, we're just not doing this tonight. But if it was <laughs> the right day and the right time, oh yeah, it'd blow up. It would blow up. <laughs> uh, so, so what did you grow up say uh, in the middle class, lower, upper, wealthy? How did, how was that? So both of Both of my parents, my dad is a small business owner. He owns a property management company and my mom is self-employed. She, uh, it's technically a communications company. It's called DLF communication. She does a lot of writing for co-ops and dairy associations, basically communications for farmers. And which is interesting that she leans left and she does a lot of work with farmers. To clarify, you said writing, not rioting, right? Correct. Correct. Making sure. She's she's not going out and breaking into targets. Okay. Okay. Making sure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So... Yes, we grew up a middle, upper middle class, but because, like I said, my dad is in property management, 2007 hit very, very hard. Mm -hmm. Now, he was able to hang on through 07, 08, and 09, and then we came out pretty well on the other side of that. Did did the both of them having uh, being small business owners or your mom being self-employed and all that do you think that that led to how you are politically at all seeing them you know kind of working for themselves you think oh, 100% and like i said outside of doing my radio gig i am i'm a small business owner myself and that is that's 100% yeah. <laughs> established <laughs> a lot of where i stand and covid's a prime example like i said my business thrives on bars and restaurants so when you close down bars and restaurants, all I want to do is sit back and say, where, where are my libertarians to come and free me from the government closing my business down? There's not a ton of uh, office trivia nights going on right now, which has really put a damper in my schedule for sure. Exactly. So, <laughs> that's, a, that's, I think, about the only thing that my wife would, that both were like, yeah, let's go. There's an office trivia night. No, there's a Parks and Rec trivia night. Let's go. Let's go and do that. It's like our thing. <laughs> it's our thing to go do. And, uh, you know, we haven't been able to do anything except for remodel our house lately. So that's, uh, that's really it. But are you, do you consider yourself to be more on the libertarian spectrum or conservative or where do you, where do you think you come down on that? I definitely say I am. Oh man. Well, first I need to preface with once again, I'm, I'm 23. Yeah. So I've only voted in one 
presidential election before. I, I, I do actively vote in my local elections. I would consider myself a libertarian Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I mean by that is when I am deciding who I will vote for for president, I will generally decide between the libertarian candidate or the Republican candidate. Yeah. The Democrat candidate has not, and so long as they stay with their current platform, will not draw my vote. And also, I feel comfortable voting Libertarian in Tennessee because I know Tennessee will be red, regardless mm-hmm. of my vote. So I say that my vote is better off going towards the promotion of a third party that I think would be better for the country as a whole going forward. But if I lived somewhere like Pennsylvania or Ohio or Florida, I would probably vote Republican because I know that my vote would mean that much more. I I'm the exact same way. I mean, we talk libertarianism all day, and it is a lot easier to to talk about voting your principles when you live in Tennessee, and you know it's going to be 60%, 65% going for the Republicans, so there's there's room. But if I lived in Florida or Pennsylvania or, or Michigan or something like that, Honestly, I don't know. I don't really know what I would do. It's it's not it's not that easy of a call. Um, how do you uh, leaning more towards libertarianism? We probably rationalize the same way on this, but say your model society could be a libertarian society, not a libertarian anarchist society, by the way, but like a like libertarianism. How do you rationalize voting Republican? How do you think that? moves us towards that. And by the way, we're the same way on this. I just want to hear um, you know, what you think about that because I know I I I feel the same. I just want to know what you think. Because the way I tend to view the two parties is that and when I say the two, I mean Republicans and Libertarians. I view the basis of the Republican Party really truly does lie in libertarian principles. You've just seen that party drift further away from those principles while as the libertarians will sit back and say no we still stand firm in these principles so i do feel as if with the two large parties that the republican party does bring us closer to libertarian principles and where i live like i said in east tennessee is it is a very strong haven for republicans that really stick to their libertarian principles our county mayor is a Kane, the wrestler. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You heard that awesome. right. Yeah. And, but he, when you actually sit down and talk to him, he comes on our show consistently. He runs the Republican, but this man's a libertarian. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's really no question about it when you talk to him about policy. Same with our federal representative, uh, Tim Burchett. He also is very, I, I would consider him a libertarian as well. He just proposed a bill to the House last week that says before the House votes on any bill, the speaker must read the approximated cost of that bill before anybody votes on it. So that way the public can know. And that way, there's no way that you as a voting congressman can say, oh, I didn't know what the cost would be. Yeah. And when I see a bill like that, I think that's something a libertarian would do. We, we have, I don't know if it's in your, I know somewhere in Tennessee, there is a, a more local guy that when his district gets uh, gets a bill or they get a budget, he went live on Facebook and read through the entire thing live on Facebook and went through their entire ledger, everything that they were spending money on with the camera set up and went through all of it because he wanted all of the people to know what they were spending money on and every word that was in the bill or whatever it was. And uh, some more transparency like that would be amazing. <laughs> I don't believe that is Burchett. What Burchett will do, though, is he will walk out of the Capitol, immediately hop on Periscope, and as he's walking down the steps, he'll just give a rundown. Here's what we did today. Here's the insanity that's going on. Here's what I think should happen. Okay, bye. And it takes two minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you think that uh, libertarians should consider more trying to change the country from within the Republican Party or sticking to just voting for libertarians all the time. Just so I'm not singling out you on this, in 2016, diehard libertarian, I wrote in Rand Paul in 2016. I did not vote for Gary Johnson because I didn't like Gary Johnson. So um, I wrote in Rand Paul. (laughs) Can I ask you a question as to why you didn't like Gary Johnson? Uh, This, honestly, it came down to, and this has nothing to do with being bigging it towards anyone, but the, the the bake the cake scenario where he said that he would force 
the the bakers to bake the cake and that old scenario um you know for the the uh, the wedding and whatever happened that went to the Supreme Court eventually uh, when he said that he would force the people to bake the cake um, it showed me that there was a fundamental difference in the belief that we were all uh, individuals and free and shouldn't be forced to associate or interact with people that we didn't want to even though I completely disagree with what the people were doing when he said that he would force them it took away the very fund fundamental belief to me that can make you a libertarian and that can make you a, a reason for me to vote third party in an election. When you remove that, I was like, well, I might as well just just vote for the person that I would rather be uh, running and, and become the president right now. So it kind of knocked him off the ballot for me, honestly. I didn't even see him as a, as a libertarian option anymore. That so, makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I did not know that at all. Yeah. So uh, thanks for the education. You know, it's just such a such a stupid, crazy issue, I guess. But he said he would. And I was like, how how would you argue as a libertarian that you can force someone to perform a task for someone else when they don't want to do it? And, and you're a libertarian? I don't I don't get it. So now I'm like, OK, you're, you're not a libertarian. You don't even exist on the ballot to me anymore. You guys are so lucky to have. A, I can't think of his name now. Kane over there. I can't think of his uh, actual name now. Glenn Jacobs. Glenn, Glenn Jacobs. Jacobs. I've seen him a couple times at the Young Americans for Liberty uh, conventions and uh, given speeches and met him a couple times. And he's definitely a libertarian like the, in his beliefs, for sure. I believe he will be the governor of Tennessee one day. I truly do believe that. Oh, man, that. I hope so. That, that'd be <laughs> so awesome. I mean, he was going around opening up for Ron Paul when Ron Paul was running for president. So, I mean, he's, he's a pretty libertarian guy. But um, right, but back to your question. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I don't even remember um, what it was anymore. Oh yeah. Your question as thing. to yeah. how I believe libertarians should, I guess, inject themselves into the political sphere more, whether that's through the Libertarian Party or the Republican Party. Man, that's a tough question. <laughs> uh, I guess I would say through the Republican Party, and I would say that it starts in primaries. So I know you guys interviewed the uh, the girl, I can't remember her name right now, from Young Americans for Liberty a couple months ago. And she talked about how they are very active in supporting liberty-minded candidates in primaries and in elections. Mm -hmm. So I do think it would have to start getting more people like Glenn Jacobs that run as a Republican but are libertarians going out and winning Republican primaries to really kind of push the platform that way. Yeah, the, to me, the answer always comes down to uh, two things. The One of the best things that ever happened for libertarianism was Ron Paul running as a Republican and getting on the debate stage and saying the things that he said. Uh, him being on the debate stages in 2008 and 2012 with the Republicans brought more people to libertarianism than I think anything else uh, has in our lifetimes anyway. So I don't think that you can discount the... Uh, the, the good things that can come from a libertarian running as a Republican. And and then on the other side of that, I think that there could be a free market in political ideas as well. And what I would like to see is the Republican Party say, hey, there's five million people that voted for the Libertarian Party this year. What can we do to get those votes? And and so if they want to act inside of that free market and think that those that those five million votes should come to them in some kind of way, well, I would like to incentivize them to win those votes from the libertarians, and I would be happy if they did that. I, I would be completely happy if they did the things that would win those votes from libertarians. And do you catch yourself when you say when you watch the first presidential debate? Because I did this a lot during the first presidential debate, watching Trump and Biden go back and forth. There were a handful of times when Trump would be asked a question, and I would think if he will say X, Y, Z, He's going to win libertarian votes. Mm -hmm. uh, and a prime example of that, I thought, was when he was asked about his his rallies and having tons of people at his rallies. And of course, he went for the low blow at the knees to say something along the lines of, well, nobody will show up to his. People care what I have to say. But when he was asked that question, my brain immediately went to, if you just say something about people being able to make their own decision to come to your rally and you support people making their own decision because you support freedom 
you're going to win a lot of libertarian voters. You can win those votes, but he he will pass up on those opportunities consistently. He does. And that's I think it's because he's not working off of a specific political ideology. I think it's all just reactionary all the time. And his natural reactions a lot of times might be based out of some libertarian ideas, although, <clears throat> sorry, he's probably never thought about that. But yeah, all he had to say was because people can make their own decisions. And when they asked him about his taxes and say, well, uh, because taxation is theft, he could just say that because taxation is terrible and it puts a burden on everyone. Of course, I tried to not pay any taxes. Everyone should do the exact same thing. Dude, that's all you had to say to, to get libertarians to stand up off their couches right then. And it, and he did some of that in 2016 or 2015, talking about the wars, talking about them being, now he went, it's, it's a waste of money and, it, and it's a waste of, of time, but he, there's a lot of things like some deregulation that's happened in the healthcare se uh, sector uh, this year where he could have said a philosophical argument about it. Like it would be better for the free market to take care of this because the government's terrible at everything. And Instead, he just does what Trump does. And, and you know, it's uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I do find myself doing that for sure. I found myself looking for reasons to vote for him and feel completely OK with it this this year, um, because, uh, you know, I, I think what I said the other day was this year with the pandemic, with everything, I think anyone else in his position we would have seen much more of a power grab from the federal government side of things uh, with, with tons of other people in his position. And I've actually been pretty pleased with the amount of leave it to the states and deregulate the healthcare industry and uh, things like that that he's done. It's not been perfect. I don't, I, don't like, I don't like all of it, but I actually think he's given the opportunity this year. He's done a pretty good job not power grabbing all of that. So anyway, don't forget, Nate, he's a dirty, <laughs> filthy fascist. Oh, don't yeah, forget. of course. He's a white supremacist. He he refuses <laughs> oh. to condemn white supremacy. He refuses. There's no way he's already done it 50 times. There's there's no way. No, no, no. Don't play that clip of him saying he condemns white supremacy. That's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about this other time. You know, it's it's crazy, man. So speaking of that, how do you think we're... How do you think the, the dishonesty in the media is leading to the way that people feel on politics right now? How, how big of a deal do you think dishonesty in the media is playing? I mean, I think it plays a huge role, and I think it's not just media as much as it is social media. Um, and have you watched The Social Dilemma? I feel like that definitely played a role in you launching this series. Uh, no, I have not watched it. No. Okay, so The Social Dilemma, it was... In terms of documentaries, I give it a, a six out of 10, okay. but it did make some good points in, in really just driving home notions that we already knew. And people will take a clip from the media and yes, the media will originally put out a 20 second clip, but then social media takes off with it and it goes everywhere on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, whatever. And then people will find themselves making their political decisions based off of a 20 second clip mm -hmm. and you can make a 20 second clip show you anything, anything you want it to. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think dishonesty in the media that is then exploded by social media. I think that is the core of a major problem. And a prime example of that is, is yesterday. I'm sure you saw the clip of Amy Coney Barrett of her stumbling over the first amendment. And if you cut that 20 second clip of Amy Coney Barrett and plaster it everywhere, which is exactly what happened. You then have people saying, oh, this woman, she knows nothing about the First Amendment. No, <laughs> she can't be a judge. But then if you watch the five minutes following that, she then goes in and dissects the First Amendment, shows you how all five rights are intertwined and why they're all crucial to the American framework. And so if you watch the full clip, there's no question that she understands the First Amendment. But that 20 seconds that is cut by the media and exploded on social media, it it pushes a false narrative. Now, would both of us be willing to consider that maybe Joe Biden's cognitive decline has been misrepresented by 10 and 20 second clips over this entire election? Would that, would that you know, do you think that uh, what I'm trying to say is, you know, we'll say, well, a 10, 20 second clip of Amy Coney Barrett, um, you could play that clip and it sounds like she knows nothing about it. 
I wonder if someone on the left would say, well, yeah, you've been playing five, 10 second clips of Joe Biden this whole time. Listen to his entire speech. He only messed up stuff 50 times during that whole speech. And um, and you picked the worst one. Why didn't you pick one of the uh, the, the better ones? I'm just and wondering think, what someone would say on that. I think that person would also be right. And the reason I say that is because, I mean, like I said, my job is in news. My job is to watch, listen, record a lot of these press conferences. And does Joe Biden have his gaffes? Oh, yes, of course. But is it as much as social media would make you believe? No, of, of course not. Uh, and I think that's why a lot of people were surprised at the first debate when Joe Biden wasn't just stumbling over himself and, and falling over. People were like, oh, wait, this guy's not totally brain dead. And I do blame a lot of that on your conservative media. I do think your conservative media set the bar too low for Biden to where all he had to do was step over a brick and he passed the bar that was set for him. Uh, so, so that, yeah, I think the same could be said on the left. We'll get into, so when it comes to some of the beliefs on, say, economic systems, what would you say to uh, someone on the left coming up to you and saying, you like capitalism or you like the free market, and it means that you don't care about poor people. And this person right here, they're going to starve to death or they're not going to be able to get their treatment. And we just have to help them. And you're a terrible person because you obviously are so selfish. You're willing to just watch this person die. Here's the story about this one single person. Let me give you an anecdote right here about this one person. Um, what would you say back to that about your belief system on on libertarianism or free market capitalism? So the first thing that I would tell someone that told me I don't care about poor people is I would say, do you want to look at my books? <laughs> uh, I'm in the first year of owning a small business. Uh, I'm not making any money. And meanwhile, my insurance deductible for my health insurance is $13,000. Mm. So yeah, if you want to cool. talk about being poor, um, I, I can show you how much money I make. <laughs> um, so that's the first thing I would say. And the second thing I would say is, and I feel like I'm just repeating you guys when I say it because I love the point that you make. <laughs> you want to talk about a, a better solution for poor people while you live in a country where I can say that you you are living below the poverty line while walking around with a $1,000 iPhone in your pocket and in the top 1% in the world in terms of income. So what on, what on earth makes you believe that there is a better system for poor people than the system that we currently live in? Yeah, it's it's weird. Every single bad thing that happens is because of capitalism. And every single good thing that happens is, I guess, because the government was able to force the evil capitalists to, to do the right thing for a minute. I, I don't know how exactly you make that clear. Do you, think the, do you think the argument about past societies that have tried this and failed, do you think that's a completely dead argument with people nowadays, that, talking about Venezuela and Russia and China and all that? Do you think any of that works with people at all? I don't think it works because... People are so quick to write it off. May it have some relevance? Sure. But is it effective in convincing a socialist to believe in free market capitalism? No, of course not. Now, is it an argument that is still promoted by both sides of the aisle? Yes. I got, a, I got an update from Fox News probably 10 minutes before we started this interview. It was something along the lines of a subtle reminder here's what happened to Venezuela in their socialist community. Yeah. And I didn't get a chance to read it. I was going to read it after this interview. But yeah, it, it's definitely an argument that is still being promoted on either side. It's it's really interesting. I saw, uh, I can't remember who it was. Was it NBC or some, some pretty big organization had a really long expose about what happened in Venezuela and didn't mention socialism in it the entire time. They just talked about the bad economic system situation they're in and all that. And, and never mentioned democratic socialism, never mentioned socialism, never mentioned their economic system whatsoever, just that people are having a really bad time. And here, here's what happened. All the businesses left somehow, magically. And, and, uh, and, you know, all these terrible things that happened. And the government's just been Maduro's an evil, brutal dictator and never mentioned what their, what their economic system was whatsoever. He's an, he's um, an evil, brutal dictator that allows for capitalism and freedom. <laughs> he's, he's terrible. That's what it is. And, you know, one thing I noticed from people, I'm sure you have too, when you bring up, uh, bring up Stalin, bring up uh, what's going on with Maduro or Mao or someone, well, it's just because those were bad people. We're going to put in really good, perfect people. 
inside of our socialist system, and it's not going to fall apart like that. The, what happened to those people was that was that some really bad, evil people got power. And so as long as we make sure that these perfect, virtuous angels are running our system all the time, it's going to be fine, right? No problem. <laughs> and that's the, once again, that's one of the best points I think you guys make on your show is it's everything when I view a new policy or any type of economic strategy or any political strategy, period, I, you always have to think, what's the precedent? What is the precedent that is set here? Because if the precedent is that I'm going to give my guy all the power, then I have to be willing to give your guy all the power when he takes control. And mm -hmm. of course, nobody wants to do that, which is what leads us to the logical conclusion of, well, then we just can't give him that much power to begin with. Yeah, that's the only, it's the only answer. I, I have yet to have a Bernie Sanders supporter tell me that they'd be completely willing to have Donald Trump Jr. be in control of healthcare and and education and the military, you know, massive wars everywhere and everything that the government does that they would feel just as easy at night when they're sleeping if if uh, John, Don Jr. was running the whole thing in, in uh, you know, 10, 12 years or however long it's going to be before we finally get back to a, another Republican. I guess I'm assuming that Trump's going to lose the election, but I don't know how long it's going to be. So. When you even see people flying communist flags at a lot of these protests across the country. And I just want to, and a lot of them truly believe they could just snap their fingers and we go to communism right now, they would do it with, without even thinking if, if you wanted to be communist right now, Donald Trump would be your communist dictator. Is, yeah. that, is that really what you're pushing for? <laughs> what do you think about uh, the fact that people can fly a communist flag, which obviously I'm not going to try to ban people from carrying flags, but the, the mentality that flying a, a hammer and sickle around is a, a nice, virtuous, amazing person. If I have my uh, Gadsden flag and I'm flying it around, uh, well, then I'm just an evil, vicious white supremacist somehow because I because I have a "Don't Tread on Me" flag that's uh, that's on the back of my car. How did it turn into you're flying the flag of uh, an ideology that's killed hundreds of millions of people and you're a good person still? <laughs> like, how did that? Well, I don't mean good person. I guess that goes against the idea of this whole series. But uh, that you're somehow pushing forward a virtuous ideology. I guess. I, I get what you're saying, and I don't. What what exactly is the question before I before I ramble? Just, well, mainly, um, how do you think people can rationalize being totally fine flying a communist flag while also saying that if you're flying a Gadsden flag or something, or even the American flag, that you are somehow an evil person following a terrible ideology? How did that happen? <laughs> Such a great question because there, there's no way to put logic to it. There's no, really the not. And I guess because the core belief in capital or in communism is, well, if you disagree with me, I can shut you down. And so that is what they truly believe. I believe in communism. Therefore, if you don't, I should be able to shut you down. And I do think, once again, it all comes back to you've talked about media coverage. I've talked about how social media exacerbates it to the point where we can surround ourselves actively if we want to, to only be fed information that we want and only be fed information that supports our ideology. And I know that the whole point of this podcast series is, is kind of bridging the divide and bridging the gap. And I think a lot of the gap starts with when people realize, oh, I can only get updates from Fox News I can only follow OAN on Twitter. Uh, all right, sweet. Yeah. And so they'll do it. And then they, uh, the more they read that, the more they convince themselves that everyone on the left is just a plain idiot that just can't see the light. And then on your, when you're on the left and all, you can filter it to where you only read CNN, you only watch MSNBC, then you can convince yourself that, well, the facts say that if you are on the right, you are a terrible dirty, hateful person. And so we've gotten to the point where we don't share facts anymore. There's not a down the middle fact that we can say, we can all gather around this and you can have your policy idea what we do about this. I can have mine. Instead, people on the left are saying, these are the facts. People on the right are saying, these are the facts. And they're not the same. There's no common ground to even begin to have a conversation with at this point. 
So getting back to the rehumanizing aspect, one thing I have, I took some notes about the fact that you're a small business owner doing, doing, um, doing all that. Like, can you tell me, uh, what is, what's been the most, uh, what's been your struggles being a small business owner? What, what do you consider as success in doing, in doing what you do? Have you had that yet? So kind of what's the really tough part? What are some of the really bad things you've had to go through trying to trying to start this business and run it? And what are some of the little successes that you've had? Well, the tough part is obviously I launched the company in January and then the economy shut down in March. Ooh. And so, yeah, I, I admitted virtually nothing and then had to shut down. The little success was the ability to adjust. I don't know if you're a big reader or not. I'm a big reader in terms of business and history. And one of my favorite business books is Who Moved My Cheese? <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with it at all. I, but, I have uh, not read it. I've definitely, I've definitely heard of it. It's, it's a little 100-page it. book. is extremely simple, but it drives the nail into the ability to change in business and not sit back and rest on your laurels and change every time the situation around you changes. So in that scenario... The economy shut down and immediately instead of thinking, well, this sucks, maybe I'll just maybe I'll just do radio and not make much money and and live a poor life. <laughs> I thought, all right, I gotta change. So this is what I gotta do. So I switched the entire business model to virtual. So I did online games on Zoom for months. So I'd be doing 10 games a week, three games a night sometimes, just on Zoom for hours at a time, hosting virtual trivia for people. Uh, all across the country. So that was a win because that allowed me to stick to my entrepreneurial dream in a time where it probably should have been shot. And other than that, the wins right now are just whenever I can make a sale, whenever I can grow. Are you, uh, are you fine? Are you still doing the actual going out to bars and events and doing that right now? Is that even available as a thing to do in your area? Yes. So in Knoxville, a lot of places have made their own personal decisions not to do any events right now because they want to limit capacity. So it's been all about finding the places that are like, screw that. Let's, let's, let's bring the people in the door. And so I have a handful of clients that have that mentality, mainly near campus yeah. because college kids don't care at all. <laughs> and I've been able to really capitalize off of that. Also, I had a sales guy move out to Wyoming and I've been able to branch out and get some locations in Wyoming because Wyoming restrictions are, are virtually none right now. How is your college campus, uh, you know, was it split pretty, pretty big uh, politically? Did, did you see kind of everything? Did you hang out mainly in a group of people who were conservative and libertarian? Or was it just mix and match? Or are you in one of these college campuses where you can't even speak without getting shut down somewhere? So the University of Tennessee is definitely divided. And I got a big glimpse of that. And what I mean by that is I was involved in Greek life. Uh, so I was in a fraternity. So of course, in Greek life, it's middle, upper class white guys. Yeah. Like that is the, that is the all time conservative <laughs> group. Uh, and not only was I, was I in a fraternity, it was all predicated on R Robert E. Lee was one of our founding fathers. So you guys it was probably have about... like a fight club in the basement and like a, all kinds <laughs> okay, of stuff like whoa, that. Whoa, yeah. let's, let's... <laughs> it was all, it was very, very ultra conservative group. Yeah. But my minor was also in broadcast journalism and the school of communications is the most it's propaganda. Like that is the only way I can tell you is that it is propaganda. It is not education. And I know that sounds so stereotypical old white guy to say that, but it's, it's true. I mean, I, I took a class called media diversity. Okay. I took, I think five or six diversity classes in, in my college course. And, but one class media diversity stuck out the most to me. And that day one, everyone had to stand up. It's a lecture, probably a hundred kids in the class. Everybody had to stand up and the teacher said, okay, if you're a woman, sit down. If you're a person of color, sit down. If you are paying for your own school, sit down. So if you're following this trend here, the only people standing up are white guys who aren't paying for their own school. So it's me and just like a couple other dudes. And then she just goes... Now, how does that make you feel? <laughs> and I said, it makes me feel like I'm on a lot of scholarship. Like, oh, what, what, what do you mean? How does it make me feel? 
And so that that was day one, day one of this class. And so it just yes, made me I think, like, if you're a woman a or a minority in the class, when he asked the uh, if you're paying, if you if you're not if you're if you're not paying for your own school, you know, and and that person's like, I'm not paying for my own school, but luckily I'm a I'm a uh, I'm a woman, so it's okay that my that my rich parents are paying for my school right now. I'm glad I eked by this question right here. That's. <laughs> That's good. Now, how did that, I mean, how did it make you feel to be singled out in a, in a room of people? Because, uh, I mean, what, you, you got a scholarship or, or so what? You're, what if your parents were helping with your college or something like that? I mean, th- you're supposed to be a bad person? I, I was on scholarship. My parents also did subsidize some of my tuition. So I, I will not lie to you there. Uh, but yeah, it just, it made me infuriated. Do you and think so, that after that, people were more likely to uh, intermingle with each other and feel a sense of camaraderie and, and togetherness with everyone, or that it maybe split people into their different groups, or at least helped with that a little bit? Uh, it labeled me as a bad guy on day one. Yeah. And it told everyone that every time I raise my hand to answer a question in class, that they should write off what I say because I'm a white male that's not paying for his own college. Oh. Uh, and yeah, it... It was like something like this every day. I'm talking critical race theory, 1619 project. You name it, we went over it in that class. Have you seen what they've done with the 1619 project, by the way? What's been going on with that in the last couple of weeks? Where How they're revising it? Yeah, they're revising it. And that, you know, it drives me nuts. And now what no one's ever going to know is whatever whatever her name is or, or whoever wrote it. Um, I can't remember, but... Basically, the, the New York Times, they've, right? They've gone back and, and said, well, this was just a, a what if metaphor. We're not saying that the U.S. actually started in 1619. We were saying, what would it be if we did consider 1619 the beginning of the U.S.? And the, the whole thing was just a was just a metaphor, just a just an just an idea. And that's not how it started off. And it's crazy. You can go back and and edit something later. Like if you put out a post and it said, I love everybody and everyone is my friend. And then the whole, like a million people shared it. And then you went back and edited it and, and it just said, you know, screw everyone that's a minority. I hate these people. And now everyone's just, they all liked and shared this post. And now it says, um, Hey, look, I shared this white supremacist post right here. You know, it's like going back and editing something that was already written and not, and not issuing a, a new version in some kind of way. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> They're revising their, revisionist history <laughs> it's are. it's incredible it's, you can't come up with a more perfect scenario than that it's revisionist history that they've now revised and and it's happening now within you know within a year or less of each other now it, we used to we were revising history that was a few hundred years old you know and that's one thing but now we're revi- we're revising history that's a few months old at, at this time and and somehow people go with that and I, I don't know how it works we've got the I don't know. We've got the memory of a goldfish these days. But so one question I always ask everyone, uh, just so we can know who who you are as a person, I always ask if you have plenty of money to fix one problem, uh, whether it be a charity or a specific problem, what problem would you solve and why? Okay, I don't think you're going to like, like this a, answer. Like a, uh, like a Miss America question or something like that. <laughs> uh, so... I am religious, and now granted, I don't let my religion bleed into my political beliefs because Mm -hmm. I believe in separation of those two, but uh, if I had just all the money in the world and I could put it towards one thing, I would definitely put it towards more and more people coming to Christ because I do believe that, that if people shared that same belief, people would treat each other better. Um, so that that is what my money would go towards. Yes, I still think that people uh, not going to church anymore, not become not being part of that community, is one of the main problems in our society right now. I think you, I think the correlation between less and less people going to going to church and being part of that, I really do think it has a lot to do with what's going on with our society. I I actually think it has a really big a really big thing to do with it. So. I think that's... Yeah, and you're right in that there's been a significant decline there. Mm-hmm. There was a poll in the Knox County area last year. Now, keep in mind, we are we are Bible Belt to the max. Mm-hmm. And it was how many people go to church. And the poll, I believe it was done by Knox News, but I'm not 100% in that, showed that 17% of Knox villains 
actively go to church, which is down from from the overwhelming majority of people in this area that used to attend church. Yeah. Yeah, I I really do. I think it has I think it has a lot to do with it. Um so before we uh finish this up and round it out, what I what I do want to know is uh, you with the political beliefs you had and and the um the life experiences you've had and you've landed towards libertarianism, uh, libertarian republican you said, and how do you think that would benefit society as a whole including people who are in need of help right now well let's so first off i've already explained with the with the poor people aspect how i believe the system has just proven uh that poor people thrive more here than in other places Mm -hmm. i also believe that the more you let government fix and fixes in air quotes. The more you let them fix problems, the more money you allow them to put in, the larger stake they have going forward. And what I mean by that is, so so my dad, like I said, he's, he leans very right. He always uses the metaphor of if you owe the bank $100, the bank owns you for that $100 or $100,000, should I say. But if you owe the bank $100 million, the bank owns you. Um, or, or you own the bank, I'm sorry, because the bank needs you for that money. Mm-hmm. So then if we in, need to rely on the government to pull us out of these situations and the government provides all of this money, then the government owns us. And at the end of the day, what is the point in having money and excelling economically if you're not free? Uh, and so I believe that economic exhalation comes at the price of government control if you rely on the government to do it. I know that was rambled a little no, bit no, totally. in that answer. No. Um, but that is the overall the overall gist. Do you think that it helps, uh, you know, with us having more of a sense of purpose and meaning in our lives too? It would, you know the difference between if you ask for money from someone and they give it to you versus you make the money through your own productive activity and you earn the money and then and then you get to spend that money on something do you think that one of the problems in our society is no one is really moving towards that feeling of of earning what they're getting versus feeling like they deserve everything to be given to them uh how how big of a part do you think that plays in i don't know the overall mentality of a of the society right now. I mean, I I definitely feel like there is a there's a specific pride in earning your dollar, and an example of that would be while my business is really struggling, one of my roommates runs a uh, an insulation company, so I went and did a day of insulation with him, and earning that couple hundred bucks felt a lot different than sitting in the radio studio and earning a couple hundred bucks, yeah. uh, just because that is that was hard, difficult work, and I believe that. It it does give you a, a sense of pride with your money. Yeah, that's a that's really something I I think we're we're missing right now, which is uh, that being completely disconnected from the money that you have, you never really value it. You never really value what had to go into making it or anything. So, but you know, we're just white mansplaining right now. There's not really, of course, you know. I think the same could be said for taxation. <laughs> you guys made, I believe it was you guys. A phenomenal point. This is probably back in July, where you said everyone should have to pay their taxes like a small business owner. Mm-hmm. I think that would change a lot. I think the Republicans could win so many more elections if everybody had to pay their their taxes like a small business owner and just write that check for whatever it is and hand it over to Uncle Sam at the end of the year. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. And that's something, unfortunately, that was even argued for. Uh, Milton Friedman was actually a supporter of of doing the uh, taking the taxes directly out of paychecks because he said it would be more more efficient, basically. And that's I think even people like that failed to see just how that was going to change the entire incentive structure itself. Uh, That was always one of the few missteps by by someone like that. But I mean, when you got to write that check at the end of the year, you're doing your your taxes like I did last year and everything I do is, you know, just being a business owner. When you actually have to to pay them the several thousand dollars at the end of the year, you start asking yourself, what did I get for this money? Did I actually get something? What could I just use that on? 
You know, what what could that have been? My uh, my parents need help with something because the pandemic and I just gave the I just gave the government twelve thousand dollars. Like, what if I could have given that to my parents and then they wouldn't have needed they wouldn't have needed a stimulus check or they wouldn't have needed unemployment or something like that. And I could have helped them instead. It's crazy. And of course, of course, the the left wing response to that is, oh, well, you just you just sound so, so selfish. (laughs) And I I used to try to argue that. And say, well, no, I'm not selfish. I do, I do this, I do that. But I've gotten to the point where I just want to sit back and be like, yeah, yeah. you know what? I want my money that I earned. And if that sounds selfish, then so be it. I'll stand by it. Yeah, there's, I mean, but there's, selfishness doesn't always have to be a bad thing. You know, it, if everyone, well, listen, if you're in a plane that starts to go down, you're supposed to put your mask on first. That way you can help your kid put their mask on afterwards. Because if you help your kid first, then you could end up passing out. And then both of you guys are going to end up passing out. So you need to take care of yourself first so you can take care of your family or your friends or your community afterwards. And if everyone says, well, we have to take care of the community first, and hopefully that filters back down to me, well, then no one actually ends up making anything that can go out to the community and filter back down to the single people. If if you take care of yourself and everyone else has that idea too, well, then they will be able to help their family members or their church or or whatever it is. So it's selfish, but not in like an evil selfish form. It's a, it's a selfishness that leads to a better world for everyone out of being selfish. <laughs> Do you think people should vote like that? Do you think people should vote selfishly and think about what gives me the most justice and not think about others when they vote. If yeah. everyone voted selfishly, is that is that the predication of democracy? Yeah, because I would want everyone to also vote <clears throat> selfishly because if I don't vote selfishly and I'm voting for someone else, then I'm relying on someone else to also not vote selfishly and vote for something that's going to help me. So I never do anything with my vote that's going to help me. And then I'm relying on other people not being selfish and to vote for things that are going to help me. And it, when you go, I mean, you can go down to the Ayn Rand part of it, but if, it, if you weren't worth you trying to help yourself, then why am I going to try to help you in the first place when you won't even try to help yourself? And how are you going to build a society based off of everyone relying on everyone relying on everyone relying on everyone else all the time? <laughs> <laughs> and no one ever trying to take care of themselves. It's a, it's just not a good, I, it's not a great long-term philosophy, in my opinion. I'm with you. So, I, I'm totally with you there. All right, man. Well, we're going we're gonna to cut this off. It's a really great interview. Um, I can tell you're on the radio and stuff. You're keeping me on my toes today. So well, I appreciate it. Uh, I think, thank you for taking some time away from the stomps to, uh, to talk to me for a minute, man. You were talking about starting your business at the time, uh, when the economy crashed, I started my, I had been trading for five or six years beforehand. I started my first trading class a week before the stock market took, um, started its massive dive when it dived down 38%. Mm. I started I'd done all this trading for all these years and came up with all these strategies and all this great stuff. And then I happened to start a week before when the market just nosedives for a period of a few months. I mean, that was some it, that was a little bit of adversity to try and get through for sure. So I kind of know what you're I know what you're talking about there. Oh, but for sure. I'm just also, speaking from my point of privilege and having to complain about my stocks and stuff, you know. Oh, naturally. Well, I mean, obviously, you just you just like to take advantage of the poor working class. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> every time you mention HCA on the show, my girlfriend's <laughs> mom is a uh, vice president over HCA. So every time you talk nice. about it, I'm always like, ah, I got him. <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, my wife's worked for them for a while now, and she she likes the company a lot. But I get a lot of. Uh, there, I don't get anything I'm not supposed to, but I hear a lot of uh, a lot of information about how these hospitals actually work, and it's a it definitely helps with the healthcare conversations for sure. I don't know if I believe you when you say you don't get anything you're not supposed <laughs> to, but if that's what you want to yeah, say, I'll, yeah. uh, well, I'll take your word for it. You know, you're not supposed to see the patient names and stuff like that, but she's not really dealing with that. She's dealing with facilities and and how much money they're making off of each thing. So I don't know if there's a lot that I couldn't see now, Charlie. When he's working, um, he's dealing in specific patient files all the time because we do do the healthcare business as well. Um, so a lot of stuff, you know, we got to make sure no one can see. But 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, officially, I've never seen anything I wasn't supposed to. So. Okay. Can I add <laughs> one last thing yeah. that I think would be beneficial to the show? For sure. Uh, because the whole point of this is kind of bridging the gap and bringing people together and and losing some divisiveness. Uh, so yesterday, my job for the radio station, I was out of the studio and I was going around to multiple different polling locations because it was the first day of early voting in Tennessee and just talking to voters, talking to voters, talking to campaigners. If there was somebody with a tent, I was talking to them. And then I was calling in and doing live reports on the radio for it. And so a lot of places, because I live in a very red area, I showed up and I talked to the chairman of the Knox County Republican Party. I talked to some candidates. I talked to people campaigning for them. But my last stop I pulled up into East Knoxville, which, I mean, let's be blunt. East Knoxville is the hood. (laughs) And I pull up to a place called the Love Kitchen. And I walk up. I'm the only white guy there. And I'm starting to talk to people, talking to voters. And there's this one woman. She's got a speaker. She's got a microphone. She's playing music. And she's wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt and a Breonna Taylor mask. So this is a woman that if I saw on social media, I'd be like, oh, well, this woman hates me because I'm a white male. Mm. And if I saw her walking around just just normally in a normal situation, I would not talk to this woman. But I was like, look, she's the woman with the microphone and the music. I got to talk to her. It's my job. So I go up and I talk to this woman, knowing that I probably disagree with her on probably every philosophy she ever thinks of. (laughs) And this woman was the nicest woman. She was inviting. We were cutting up, laughing. She was very easy to talk to. When she talked about her policies, I, I gripped my teeth and bared it because I disagreed. But uh, because this is all about humanizing, and I do think we tend to view people solely by their policies and their politics and their candidates, uh, it was definitely a very good humanizing moment for me to talk to this woman and be just like, wow, you're, uh, you're not how I would have labeled you before I came up and talked to you. And it was, it was really, truly just a great feeling. Have you uh, have you had any experiences where it didn't work out that way and did that? Do you think that's changed the way that you make that judgment about that, how that person feels about you at, at all with with anyone else or, or or just that that one lady specifically? You know, I, I I've started to try to avoid talking politics outside of work as much as possible give myself some balance in life unless I'm talking to my dad on the phone because he likes to talk about it. (laughs) So I don't think I can give you an anecdote about that because I'm not actively going out outside of work and seeking political conversation. Yeah. I can just be, you know, I'm, I'm in a heavily, uh, basically my, the area I live in is like 80% minority uh, and everywhere I go, I'm normally the only white guy there. And I assume that everyone hates me everywhere I go, the grocery store, the gas station, um, the restaurants all the time, everywhere I go, I assume the people I'm around hate me. And, and that is, um, what you just told me. I mean, that's an amazing story because it gives me a little bit of hope that, you know, perhaps that's not always true. Sometimes it is, but, uh, but maybe, maybe if the two of us actually talked and, uh, talked about something other than why we should vote for this different person, uh, hopefully we would just get along perfectly fine and neither one of us will want to burn the other person's shit. You know, I agree. And I think I truly, I might be naive here, but I really want to believe that that is the case in most cases. There is common ground. There is people are, will treat you with respect. And I think that we've been led astray by the media and the social media we consume, but I believe in true human to human interaction I want to believe that that is what most are like. I really think it is. My wife says that to me a lot because obviously all I deal in all day is trying to go through the news and looking through social media and all that. And I'll just come out. She knows I'll come out and I'll be like, we're screwed. Like, this is it. We're just screwed, by the way. And she'd be like, babe, most people are not crazy. You're just seeing all the crazy people all the time. And that's not how most people are. You know, most people are are good and they'll be they'll be nice and kind to everyone. You're just seeing videos of all the people who who aren't like that. I'm like, okay, you're right. You're right. Good. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, and I can totally relate to that. I, I do a podcast in association with the radio station kind of as my, I guess, audition for my own show one day as soon as we uh, have some freedom there uh, i don't know if i'm allowed to throw my own podcast oh, go ahead. i was just typing out it was a, uh, i'm gonna type down the name of it so yeah what's the name of it 
Uh, it's called Combating the Madness. And I definitely will use some topics that I hear on your guys' show because I think you guys do a great job and, I, uh, and you bring some stuff to my attention that I'm unaware of. Uh, Thank you. But yeah, I, I do the same thing. I dive in and I will pick the, 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 the show is predicated on I'll take the five wokest takes of the week and then just <laughs> pick them apart. And so, yeah, I, I deal in crazy all yeah. day long. I deal in the madness. And so <laughs> I'm with you. It's a great refresher to go out, talk to people and learn that everything is not <laughs> insane and the world is not burning to the ground. Yeah. Everywhere is not Seattle. Oh, God, thank God. Um, yeah, so I'll definitely, everyone check out Combating the Madness. We'll put some links and everything to it in the notes for this when we, when we put that together. If, uh, if, uh, you can send me some of the links or if I can find them just by searching, we'll see here. Um, and make sure that we, we link to everything. Um, and also I was going to tell you before we get off here, if you ever are around anyone who is on the more left side of the spectrum, we've got a couple people signed up to do that on this, on this series, but by the... You know, by and large, it's all libertarians and some conservatives. And that's all great because we get to get the human aspect of our viewpoint out there. But we really want to also get the human aspect of the left out there because we spend a lot of time doing things like our Dumb Leap of the Week episodes and stuff like that and tearing apart uh, all of those things. And we still want to present... Uh, the human side of this ideology and the people that that we're that we're talking about, because I want to disseminate between the crazy ideas and actions between the actual people themselves. And so, if you ever have anyone that you know that is on the left that would be willing to have a non-combative conversation, that's not a debate whatsoever, just a conversation about you know someone's life and why they feel the way they feel, let send them over our way. Yeah, I've got some um, some radio buddies I might talk to about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely let them know. We want to get all the all the different sides out here. And if we're just gonna present our human aspect, that's not the point of what we're trying to do. We want both we want all the all the parts of the divide represented in this. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the Good Morning Liberty podcast and go subscribe to Combating the Madness on your favorite podcast app as well. Until next time, guys, y'all have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.